Hello and greetings. Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan Longhenry and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. As human beings, we seek to find meaning in our existence and in all things. Uh, maybe you've asked yourself at some point the question, who am I? Why am I here? A lot of people have asked that question. People have been thinking about those questions as long as they've been able to wonder about their existence. And so we do well to wonder and explore the question, what is life all about? Now for Christians, there is the true answer to the question that we uh, seek relational unity with God and one another so we can obtain and enjoy eternal life in John 17, 20 uh, through 23. From Genesis 1, we recognize that God has made us in his image. And in Acts 17, it is declared that we are indeed God's offspring. That we have strayed from the ways of God, unfortunately, and now are subject to sin and death. But God has reconciled us through Jesus in Romans 3 and chapter 5. It's in Christ that we find reconciliation with God, the right, good, and healthy way to live, a call for resistance against the forces of darkness or the present age, and true reconciliation with our fellow man. In Galatians 5, Ephesians 2, 4, and 6. It's in Christ that we have the hope of resurrection, eternal life in the presence of God, in Philippians 3 and Revelation 21 and 22. Now, if you're a Christian or you've been around Christianity, a uh, good chance that you know these things, right? Uh, we know these things. These are the things that we constantly remind ourselves are true in Christianity. But do we live like it? Has that knowledge penetrated our heart and our actions? Unfortunately, we all too often just give lip service to what we know is true from Scripture and end up capitulating to the alternative meanings that the world has offered for us for our lives. And we shouldn't really find this su surprising. Uh, the pull toward worldly ways of thinking is very great, and a lot of people are wedded to them. And so that we can exhort ourselves toward relationally with God and one another, we're exposing these various purposes in life that the world offers as substitutes. And today let's look at what's called often the basic unit of civilization, the darling of the evangelical world, the family. Is life all about family? Now, for good reason, the family was traditionally considered the basic unit of civilization, uh, because... Uh, that's the way society was built. We've seen today a profound increase in the esteem of the individual. But for most of human history, it's the family that's been the basic unit. We can even see this in the structure of Israel. We see in the pages of Scripture that Israel, as well as every other nation, is conceived of in terms of an extended family. We can look at the list in Genesis chapter 10 of all of these individuals who were descended from Noah. Uh, guys like Cush and Egypt, Canaan. Uh, they end up being fathers of whole families that end up being nations. And we see the development of Israel itself. God has chosen Abraham, uh, Abraham's son Isaac, and then Isaac's son Jacob. Jacob's 12 sons are considered as the 12 tribes of Israel, and their sons would go on to def define clans within those tribes in Exodus 1 and throughout the uh, first five books of the law. And in fact, almost all the Israelites are always known as X son of Y, part of Z clan of a tribe. So in 1 Samuel 10, 20-21, we learn that Saul is the son of Kish of the Matrite clan of Benjamin. Now, anywhere you go, you saw son of Kish. Everywhere goes David, son of Jesse. Um, everywhere you go, you're known as your uh, the son of the father. In days of Jesus, Simon Bar Jonah means Simon, son of Jonah. 
in Matthew 16. So uh, you are, your name is, is your family. Your family helps identify you for better or for worse. And especially in the way that Israelite society was developed, uh, your life was entirely dependent upon that placement because you are the descendant of your ancestors. But they have this territorial plot of land that God has given them, and it was of the greatest importance to maintain that land so as to maintain your uh, perpetuation among the people of Israel. And we use Israel in the Old Testament, but it's also probably a likely indicator of the development of a lot of societies. And this is because any individual is very prone in a dangerous world. The camaraderie and strength in numbers provided by family is what allows for division of labor and for greater success among humans. And extended families, connected by blood, would form tribes to enhance the potential of hunting and gathering and to protect against other tribes. And those tribes would grow because of absorption or numerical expansion or, and form ethnic or national groups. And so for most of human society, uh, society kind of grew out of family, family, family connections, traditions, and identity markers. Now, as nation-states have expanded and people have become more mobile, we've seen this development of this multi-ethnic national conglomerate that we have today. Uh, above all, the United States of America, right? Uh, America has always lived in this strange tension because a lot of times America want to affirm the benefits of family. Uh, but almost all of us have family who left their family and their homeland to come here uh, at some point in the past few hundred years. Now, America's diversity has helped ease the conflict that can come out of tribalism, uh, because we all are kind of a mix-mash. Uh, but many of the values of America and its independence streak uh, wreak havoc on family stability. And that's the big change that we've seen in the conception of family and family structures in uh, the past few generations. Uh, we see the converging emphasis in the 21st century on the individual. There's this greater libertarian libertine views on sex and an erosion in the confidence in social structures and institutions in American society. In a lot of ways, um, individualism has proven toxically corrosive to families. We've seen the increase in the divorce rate and the broken homes and families that resulted from that. The uh, there's insistence that everybody reach their full potential no matter what, and that leads to people being hesitant to marry, have kids, form families, and perpetuate uh, the traditions. The entrance of women to the workforce, whether by choice or by compulsion, has profoundly altered the internal dynamic of the nuclear family, in good ways as well as some uh, not-so-good ways. And as middle-class values in America have spread, the importance of family and providing for extended families has been de-emphasized because we're told to look to ourselves and our efforts for our sustenance, and everybody else should do the same. They, they, they shouldn't be loafers. They should have to do the re like the rest of us have had to do. Now, how many of us expect today to be willing to provide for our relatives in their old age? Not nearly as many as who plan on taking, uh, having them take care of themselves or living in assisted living or assisted, uh, nursing home facilities. And it's for this reason that the families become ground zero in the culture wars. And for some people, the breakdown of the family is the reason for all of our social ills. For others, the family's breakdown is caused by all kinds of social political problems. Some people exult in the downfall and the, of the importance of family, while others, especially in the greater evangelical world, has doubled down on the family, exalting the family to perhaps preeminent status, parading this idea of family values, seeking to advocate pro-family ideas. 
And so it's kind of strange to ask if life is all about family uh, in a world where it seems a family is under such assault. But it's very easy to make an idol out of that which uh, has been lost in the past. And so uh, for many, this danger still remains. So therefore, we do well to explore uh, from Scripture uh, what we're supposed to learn about the family and is life all about family. And to do that, we do well to kind of look at the family in terms of its uh, concentric ring, so to speak, uh, of proximity, intimacy, and influence. And so we're going to begin with the foundation of the family. When God made man and woman in the garden, he, uh, he says in Genesis 2.24, that man leaves father and mother, clings to his wife, uh, and to become one flesh. And so we have that uh, idea of marriage. And the Bible commends marriage. Uh, honors and upholds its commitment. In Hebrews 13:4, uh, marriage is to be held in honor and among all, and it's bed undefiled, but God will judge those who uh, uh, were contrary against it. In Ephesians 5, 22-33, uh, Paul gives instructions for husbands and wives that's tied to the relationship between Christ and the church. It's also there in Colossians 3:18 and 19. Uh, we see a consistent condemnation of divorce, sexually deviant behavior, and adultery in Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 6, and Galatians 5, 19. Uh, elders that will serve to uh, shepherd the flock are to be the husbands of one wife in 1 Timothy 3, 2, and Titus 1, 6. And for that reason, Christians do well to uphold and honor marriage. Uh, because those who are in healthy marriages uh, have some kind of affirming support system. Uh, very rarely do you see any su successful marriage where people literally are on their own. And uh, the people of God in Christ need to fill the role of a support system for those unhealthy for marriages. Marriage is good. Christians should not work to undermine marriage. On the other hand, while marriage is good, marriage is not required. And we need to be careful lest we make an idol out of marriage. Because as culture seems to denigrate marriage and the family, Christians have naturally emphasized the need to uphold their integrity. And that's well and good in a lot of respects, but it has been taken too far in many circumstances. And so the point now is that a lot of churches seem to be almost a marriage industrial complex. A culture in which only those who are married can feel comfortable. Now it's one thing to uphold marriage. It's another to expect it and make unmarried Christians feel uh, as if they are lesser because they are not married to somebody. And uh, that's why it's important that, yes, we talked about Hebrews 13, we talked about the importance of elders, uh, but the Bible also has 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, in which Paul will say uh, in verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am, uh, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Uh, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Uh, he will continue to say that marriage is good, marriage is honorable, but to remain celibate for the sake of Jesus is better. Paul affirms that celibacy is a greater gift than the good thing of marriage. Those who are celibate in the name of the Lord Jesus are putting their trust in the resurrection. They're devoting all of their energies and resources to serving the Lord. They're not of double minds uh, as those who have to please a husband or wife are. But too many today cannot imagine how Christians might serve God but not want to be married. A lot of times people say, well, First Corinthians 7 is about a present distress only there in the first century, or in other ways try to minimize its existence or value. 
from what is heard in many churches, even among the Lord's people, would you get the impression that celibacy is a greater good than marriage? Yes, we do well to encourage young men to aspire to the eldership. We need men to aspire to that role uh, for the church to thrive in the future. On the other hand, uh, it's worth noting that neither Paul nor Jesus could have served as elders, and that's okay. You don't have to be an elder to be a great Christian. Um, we must make room for single Christians, whether they have never married, whether they are divorced, or whether they're widowed. Uh, those who are single uh, are in need of relationships and relational union with others. And that hasn't changed just because they're not in a marital relationship. And they should be able to find that kind of association among the people of the Lord, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. No Christian should be made to feel as if he or she is lesser because they are not in a relationship, as we see there in 1 Corinthians 7. So that means single, divorced, and widowed Christians are not automatically to be seen as projects or people who need to get married. They should be affirmed and encouraged, however they may presently feel in regards to the relationships they may or may not desire to have. Likewise, the man's role as a husband and the woman's role as a wife are very important aspects of life, but they should not be what primarily defines their lives. Uh, even though we have this rampant culture of uh, individualism, there's been this kind of Disney-fied picture of falling in love and finding uh, the perfect guy or the perfect girl and then finding complete fulfillment in being their wife or husband. Um, and especially within this cult of marriage that's developed in the evangelical world where uh, all of your anxieties and all of your problems will be solved if you just find the right person and marry and once you're married it will all work out. Uh, Meanwhile, in our highly individualistic culture, uh, uh, this idea of marriage and commitment uh, comes with more uh, desires and demands than ever before. Uh, yes, you need to be in love, you need to cultivate love, you also need to be best friends, you need to be confidants, you need to serve one another, and so on and so forth. And so it becomes very easy to expect one spouse to be everything uh, for you as well. And so there's this dual danger where on the one hand you are tempted to see yourself only in terms of your relationship with your spouse and you also are expecting your spouse to serve all of the needs that you may have in life. Now, again, the scriptures teach about the importance of upholding our commitments in marriage and the roles of husband and wife. Uh, but what's very clear in Scripture is that the husband cannot be Jesus to the wife, and the wife cannot be Jesus to the husband. They are not the Lord. They, there is a major function in our lives that our spouses just cannot fulfill. And, by the way, we all fall, sin and fall short of the glory of God, as will your spouse, as, will, as are you. Uh, there is going to be failure there. So, yes, in Ephesians 5, uh, the wife is to submit to her husband as this church submits to Christ. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Those relationship roles exist, and they exist in light of Jesus and the church. Our relationship roles in marriage are to be defined by our relationship with God and Christ and the relationship of God and Christ toward us. So yes, the two will become one flesh. A man and a woman will be forever changed by marriage, but they remain unique individuals and are to be more than a husband, more than a wife, lest you expect out of a spouse more than he or she could ever possibly provide. And so identify him or herself with their marital roles to the point that it leads to an identity crisis. That, that, that has happened many times and caused great stress and grief uh, because more expectations have been piled upon people than they could possibly bear. So yes, marriage is good. But marriage is not everything, 
and it's not the ultimate good. All right, so that's uh, the, the marital relationship. Uh, the consequence of marriage, that was creation. Uh, offspring, because God shared love and relational unity, and he decided to create the heavens and earth and made man his image, his offspring, in Genesis 1 and John 17, uh, 20-23, and so on and so forth. And so we see that same pattern going on here with humanity. Uh, whoever we are, it does not matter who you are, you have parents. Maybe they've uh, passed on from this life, I'm sorry for that, if that's true, or they are still among the living. And many of us have children ourselves, so we're in both of those positions. And the scriptures speak about the importance of that relationship between parents and children and their mutual obligations. Again, Ephesians 6, 1-4. through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first command with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That command to honor father and mother is valid there. And that honoring, as we can see in Matthew 15, is more than just listening to them, but to make sure that they're provided for in their old age. And in a world today, when Christians find themselves needing to emphasize uh, the, the importance of the responsibilities and obligations. So we need to do that because far too many parents do not really work to raise their children. Instead, they are too busy uh, making career, trying to do other things, uh, however noble or ignoble their pursuits may be. And instead, then culture and society and others raise their children through media and education. And then they wonder why their children uh, do not share their values. Uh, too many families are suffering the devastation of brokenness because of divorce, sexual immorality, drug use, abuse, and things of that nature. Too many children have been raised to go live for themselves without any expectation to provide for their parents. Uh, the joke that one needs to be nice to one's children because they choose your nursing home is an abomination because of the reality behind it far too often. So yes, the family is, is, is in deep danger from a lot of these things, and there's necessary exhortation about how parents should be treating children, children should be looking to parents, but the scriptures also give Christians reason to pause, lest we go too far and make an idol out of the family, uh, as we've just mentioned. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is instructing the disciples, preparing them to go out to... Um, proclaim his message. And he says in verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50, uh, when, at, when told that his mother and brothers were outside, Jesus asked, Who are my mother and my brothers? And he points to everyone around him. The, Those who seek to do the will of God, they are my mothers and my brothers. And in Luke 9, 59 and 60, a man says, Jesus tells the man to follow him. He says, Let me go bury my father which is uh, perhaps one of the most important obligations a son has to a parent. Uh, recognized not only in Israelite culture, but around the world in almost every culture. And yet Jesus says, leave him, let the dead bury their own dead, which is a scandalous abrogation of those duties. Now, we normally see these passages. We, we want to just rush in to get rid of that tension, run to Ephesians 6, verse 75, and say, hey, well, well, we need to take care of family, we need to provide for family, and that's an understandable motivation, but let's sit in it for a second. 
let's sit in what Jesus is trying to communicate. Because Jesus is very deliberate in what he's doing. It's not like family was any less important than, in fact, it was all important in Israel. Uh, so Jesus is intentionally and deliberately undermining any conception of family ties as ultimate, trying instead to point us to our trust in God and his people as the true family, as, as ultimately uh, the family which we will uh, maintain for eternity. So, just like with marriage, so it is with family and children in general. Family is good, but family is not ultimate. We do well to note that Paul did not. Paul told children, "Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right." If the parents are not following the will of the Lord and expect their children to do likewise, the children must obey God rather than man. In Acts five and verse twenty-nine, parents do very well to raise their children in the Lord's been admonition, but the parent must always remember that uh, there was a time before children. There'll be a time when children will leave the nest. They cannot throw themselves into parenthood and lose themselves, uh, making themselves only understood as terms of the parent. And so many times, in so many ways, ch uh, parents have projected upon their children their own projects, their own latent desires and insecurities, and their expectation, what that child's supposed to be. And everybody suffers ruinously when that happens, because the child cannot be what he or she uh, ought to be. Uh, the parent sees their the frustration going on, it's part of that frustrating of children, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And at the same time, in our society, children have become idolized, presumed to have as much agency as adults. They're being treated again as if they're little adults. Uh, we must resist that presumption because children are not merely little adults. They've, they've got a lot of training and a lot of discipline that they need, uh, Hebrews 12 and other passages. And all of this presumes a halfway decent relationship between parent and child. And the fact of the matter remains that there are a lot of people who have awful relationships with their parents or children because of abuse, because of violence, because of uh, betrayal, and a host of other things. And a lot of such people are basically alone. And that's why the church is to serve as a family for such people. It's the only family such people have. It's the household of God in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. And so, yes, children do well to honor their parents, and parents do well to love and raise their children, but parents or children cannot be the ultimate thing in our lives. Now, for what we would consider family in the 21st century, that would be the end of the story, but uh, only recently has the idea of the nuclear family of the husband, wife, and children uh, been separated out from the greater extended family unit. Extended family remains a potent force among many, and for good reasons. Because extended family is what flows into the tribe and provides meaning and identity. Extended family can provide a greater support system. And, in fact, the scriptures do speak about the importance of providing even within the extended family. Uh, going back to that passage in 1 Timothy 5 that we've been referencing a few times, where Paul's giving instruction to Timothy about widows, he tells uh, uh, Timothy in verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I want to look there at that contrast there. Uh, provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household. That especially there is providing emphasis. We say in Galatians 6.10 that we should do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. It does mean that we privilege and prioritize uh, the household of faith over others, but it doesn't mean we get to neglect others. And so here, the household... Uh, 
ironically, the Roman household, a large enough one, would include servants and and uh, grandparents, uh, perhaps. Uh, in some of the poorer ones, it would still just be maybe grandparents, parents, and children. Uh, but then he goes, also, you're not to neglect your relatives, so aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. Uh, there is an expectation for Christians to provide for them. That's why in verse 16, uh, it says, if any believing woman who ha has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. I mean, you think about that. It can't be their widowed mom, because if it was their widowed mom, they wouldn't be a widow, right? Um, so, by necessity, we're talking ants. We're talking, uh, maybe in some horrific situation, nieces. Maybe uh, cousins. Uh, these are the kind of people, if there's any family connection, Christians are supposed to provide for such people. And... And yet, you know, we, we still got what we saw there in Matthew 10, 12, and Luke chapter 9. Just as with the nuclear family, the extended family is good, but it is not the ultimate good. And so we're kind of in an interesting position here because extended family has been so diminished in our society, and yet we cannot make family everything. Uh, family cannot come before Jesus in the gospel. That's really the core of Matthew 10. And you can see it happen a lot of times. Because how many have resisted the gospel call in Christ according to the New Testament pattern because it would mean that previous generations of the family would be indicted as wrong? A lot of people say, look, if, if what you say is true about the gospel, that means that my parents, my grandparents, you know, my great-grandparents are in danger of, of, of their salvation, perhaps. And, and for them, it, it's hard to, for them to say, okay, I'm going to turn and follow what I can see is true from Scripture because it means I'm turning my back on my family and my traditions and, and the things to which they have ultimate loyalty to clearly in a way that is, is, is very endangering of their soul. But it happens so many times. How many have turned aside from the gospel because of pressures from extended family? Either directly, because there's hostility toward the gospel, and therefore they're pulling people back, or indirectly, because uh, family demands a lot of uh, time and money and resources. Um, and uh, I personally have seen that. I've worked with people who have tried to encourage to follow the Lord Jesus, and uh, time after time, every time they try to come back, there would be some family thing that would just draw them away again. Um, not necessarily even tend to be malevolent. It's just that's how it worked and went down, and it was very... Uh, very tough to see. We need to be very clear. No one is saved by their family connections or associations. A lot of times people think they can get in because of uh, uh, sterling status of previous generations or future generations. Uh, Nobody is going to get a pass into heaven because of how great their daddy or child was. Uh, we need to have our own faith in Christ. Uh, we must uh, live by our faith, Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17. And uh, we need to prioritize the household of God in Matthew 12, 46 through 50. You know, families who share faith in Christ are not immune from ungodly temptations. You know, a lot of times you have a family of Christians and all of a sudden, you know, a daughter or a sister or a cousin uh, left her husband uh, and uh, found another guy in a, in a relationship they would recognize in any other family as being inconsistent with the principles established in Matthew 19, and yet now because it's their relative, they're going to find a reason to excuse it or justify it. Uh, and that is a, a great strain in the church. Uh, it's also uh, easy to become very insular. 
uh, that if you have a big enough family in the church, according to the flesh, that uh, you associate only with those uh, fellow family members, and uh, you have get-togethers, and those are the only people there, and anybody who may be a fellow Christian, but not part of that specific physical family, is not incorporated into times of fellowship and association. And this should not be so. We should never be emphasizing physical kinship connection to the point of providing no opportunity to welcome uh, those who are part of the greater spiritual family uh, in and to uh, benefit from having the association of all uh, such people uh, as the household of God. And the household of God needs to be open to all who would obey Jesus and to incorporate all of its members into the body. And so again, yes, the extended family is good, provides benefits, but it cannot be sustained as the ultimate fount of relational connection. And so, we've looked at the family. We've seen husbands and wives, parents and children, and extended family. And the scriptures attest to the value of these relationships, but warn us against making the physical family the ultimate set of relationships to be prized. And there's a theme that we've seen throughout this discussion, that the ultimate family actually is the household of God, and it must be prioritized. God is our Father, by adoption, Romans 11 through 15, and by creation. Jesus is our elder brother, in Hebrews 2 and verse 11, and we are to recognize ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, the model of marriage is the relationship between Christ and the church in Ephesians 5. The model of parenthood is the relationship between God and his people. Uh, witness the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 32. And then the Hebrew author's extended discourse about heavenly father versus earthly fathers and discipline in Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. And the model of the extended family, again, is the church, the body in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 28. And so Jesus does not undermine family association because he's against family. Instead, Jesus is expecting Christians to value their relationship with him and their fellow people of God above all things in Matthew 10 and Matthew 12. And that is why we do well to do all things to glorify God in Christ, to build up his people, as we see in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, in that beautiful picture of the work of the church. So marriage is good, but celibacy is better. Whether married or unmarried, we're to find support and strength from our fellow people of God. Honoring parents and instructing children is good, but God is the ultimate authority. We must serve God through our service as parents and children. Extended family is a good source of strength, but they don't get a veto against the will of God in Christ. And we need, we need to be careful, uh, lest we so focus on extended family that we would neglect other members of Christ. And so in these ways, we do well to uphold the value of family while we prioritize God and his people. And we're so glad that you've joined us. If you've benefited from this, we encourage you to please share it with your friends and family and others on social media. If you've got some questions about some of the things we've talked about, you'd like to discuss other issues, you'd like to have a Bible study, a correspondence course, uh, maybe you just have a prayer request, uh, you'd like to learn more about us, please find us online at VenezueChurchOfChrist.org or also on social media. And if I can be of any service, you'd like to contact me personally, please visit my website at DeVerboVitae.com. That's www.D-E-V-E-R-B-O-V-I-T-A-E.com. Again, thank you. Have a great day.